five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. Today is Yom Azikaron. Today is Israel Memorial Day. And I thank you for joining us and spending this time with us on a Yom Azikaron special morning in memory of all those who have fallen in defense of the state of Israel and in terror attacks against the people of Israel. It is a Wednesday morning, Yom Hazikaron, and you are listening to JM in the AM.
Die, die, die. 
Wednesday morning today is being observed as uh, Israel's Memorial Day. Uh, Yom HaZikaron, Memorial Day in Israel, is normally on the 4th of ER because of the these changed this year of Yom Atzmud, Israel Independence Day, being observed on the 4th of ER. So we move Israel's Memorial Day, Yom HaZikaron, to the 3rd of ER. So welcome to a Wednesday on this May 8th, the 3rd of ER, and in fact, Yom HaZikaron. Israel Independence Day. Today's day number 18 in the counting of the Omer, two weeks and four days. Today's day number 18. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. 57 degrees, partly cloudy and a high of 68. Tonight, partly cloudy, a low 50. And tomorrow, cloudy skies with a high Thursday, 56 degrees. Yerushalayim right now at 62. We're at 57 here in New York City. As we um, as we continue here on a Wednesday morning, Yom Hazikaron at JM in the AM. Yaakov Katz is going to join us, editor-in-chief at the Jerusalem Post. He has a brand new book. We'll speak with him about a half hour from now. Uh, Rabbi Mark Schneier is scheduled. He has just been traveling the world on a variety of missions. We'll speak with him coming up. In the uh, 8 o'clock hour. And um, there's some unique Yom Mode programs going on. We'll try to get to all of them or to many of them uh, coming up. The uh, one I am most associated with is the one tonight at the Mizrahi, Apoel Mizrahi on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Rabbi Menachem Liebtag is the special guest speaker. So Tfilah, our Vit, will begin at 8 p.m. And uh, Rabbi Liebtag follows... And I hope everybody has an opportunity to come out and join us at 249 East Broadway in Manhattan, starting at 8 o'clock tonight with Tfilat Yom Hatzmaut. Rabbi Ruvain Tarragon, who I uh, ran into uh, earlier this week at a Simcha Baruch Hashem, gave a, um, a sermon at a synagogue in Chicago this past Shabbos. And um, he posted it on Facebook, the text of the sermon, and I thought that today, even though some might feel it's more appropriate for Yom HaTzmut, I thought today on Yom HaZikaron I would read it and share it with you. Shabbat is a time to reflect on the week that has passed and use this reflection to set our direction for the week ahead. This particular Shabbat is situated in between the two stages of commemorative days linked to seminal 20th century events, Yom HaShoah this past week, and Yom HaZikaron, and Yom HaTzma'ut this week. These days come on the heels of others that commemorate our miraculous emergence as a people, first through Yitzhak Mitzrayim and then through the parted Yamsuf, the Red Sea. Over a period of four consecutive weeks, usually on recurring days of the week, we observe 
Pesach, Shvi Shal Pesach, Yom HaShoah, and then Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut. The four days commemorate two distinct historical periods. The first two days, the beginning of Jewish history. The second two, the most recent Jewish history. That having been said, the calendarical juxtaposition between the two pairs makes sense because they commemorate similar processes moving from slavery, subjugation, and attempted annihilation to freedom and redemption. Pesach and Shvi Shal Pesach commemorate our redemption from Egypt. Yom HaShoah and Yom HaTzmut commemorate our transition from the horrors of the Holocaust to the miracles of our own independent state in our homeland. We paid a heavy price for our state, but thankfully Hashem has now given us independence and the ability to defend ourselves. It has been noted that in Israel we have two memorial days on which sirens wail, Yom HaShoah and Yom HaZikaron. The second reminds us of the price of having a state. The first reminds us of the price of not having one. In the last 71 years, we've come a long way. The Gemara tells us that the Tana Choni Hamagil wondered what the meaning of the Pasuk, Shir Hamalot, Beshuv Hashem, Hayinu Kochomim. Why is the Geula, why is redemption compared to a dream? To help him understand, Hashem arranged for him to fall asleep for 70 full years. When he awoke, he saw a new world. The fruits of trees planted 70 years earlier were now being enjoyed by the grandchildren of those who first planted them. He saw how drastically things had changed in just 70 years. No one recognized or remembered him. He was amazed. It was a totally new world. Gu'ula generates quick changes. Change may occur slowly, but when one looks back with historical perspective, the results are astonishing. I am sure that if Choni awoke today from a 1948-induced 71-year slumber, he would be even more amazed. Over the past 70 years, Israel's population has grown at mind-boggling rates, 1,200% in seven decades. We began with 6% of the world's Jewish population. Israel now has 46%. Very soon, Israel will house the majority of Jews currently in existence. Average life expectancy in Israel has climbed from 65 to 85. Our incredible nation has made the desolate land blossom with an amazing ability to grow anything, anytime, anywhere. We have built modern, magnificent cities. We have revolutionized Torah study. There were 400 young men studying Torah in Israel in 1948. There are now over 120,000. And there are over 100 seminaries where women study Torah. Thanks to Israel, more Jews are studying Torah today than at any other time in history. Our technology guides the planet. Our army is second to none. Our economy is booming. The GDP has gone from 25 billion shekel to 1.2 trillion shekel, and exports from 29 million to 53 billion. Most importantly, Israel, Israel's populace has one of the world's highest satisfaction ratios. The Jewish nation that emerged from the Shoah, bereaved and broken, has regained its pride and rightful place as a force to be reckoned with in the Middle East and far beyond. That having been said, this past week has been a difficult one for the Jewish people, particularly for 
those in the United States. On the day when Jews in Israel were reading about the death of Nadav and Avi, while Kiddush Hashem and Jews in the United States were remembering the lives of relatives at Yisker, a gunman burst into a Poway shul, murdered a woman, and wounded the shul, Rav, children, and others. Our world, the world of our children, our shul life changed this past Shabbat. We mourn the loss of life and we pray for those injured, but we also grieve for the loss of innocence for our children who could no longer attend shul without fear or worry. Who have to practice lockdown drills and evacuations because we live in a world of evil. Most importantly, the attack coupled with the one at Tree of Life in Pittsburgh just a few months ago was starting to give the impression that neither of them were flukes or merely the actions of two uniquely disturbed individuals. These attacks and the recent surge of anti-Semitism have not occurred in a vacuum. They've been fostered by a climate of rhetoric, vitriol, and demonization. Sadly, the political and social climate in the U.S. has become deeply polluted. This has been fueled by a number of politicians and media outlets who tolerate, reinforce, and or openly express anti-Semitic sentiments. We've read and heard statements by a number of congressmen, more specifically congresswomen, and we were shocked by the Nazi-inspired cartoons that appeared in no less than the New York Times. It is more than coincidental and actually bone-chilling that these cartoons were published in a week that culminated with Yom HaShoah. In case anyone still harbored the hope that demonic anti-Semitism was a thing of the past, that the extreme of Nazi evil had helped the world overcome the Times cartoons and swastikas on the homes of living Jews and the graves of dead ones around the country remind us that virulent anti-Semitism still exists in our day, even in the USA. Jews are attacked not only in our own state where we conflict with other peoples, but also in the U.S. where we are just minding our own business. Jews are attacked not only here where we are strangers in a foreign land, but also in Eretz Israel in our own land. The Dayan family, with three members wounded in the Poway shooting, exemplify this sad reality. They moved to California after their initial home in Stay Road was hit by a rocket, and they moved from Mira Mesa when they were greeted there by swastikas spray-painted on their home, and now they were attacked in Poway as well. What should our response be? What is the Torah response? I believe, like always, we look, need look no further than Parsha HaShavua. The Parsha read in Israel when the shooting occurred, Parshat Achremot. At first glance, the prakim of Parshat Achremot seem unrelated to one another. One discusses Avodat Yom Kippurim. The second presents the laws of of Chutz and the prohibitions pertaining to blood. And the third parak lists the Arayot, prohibited relations. Is there a connection between these seemingly unrelated topics? I believe there is, and that it begins from the beginning of the Parsha. Though we read of the deaths three Parsha to go, the Parsha opens with and is named after the deaths of Nadav and Aviyu. That is because in many ways the Parshas are a response to their deaths. The first parak teaches the Kohanim how to enter the Kodesh HaKadashim in a way they'll remain alive, as the Parsha's second Pasuk emphasizes, Kodesh. Second parak not only prohibits eating blood or spilling blood through improper Shechita, but also mandates covering the blood of Achaya or of after Shechita. The Torah explains these Isurim by explaining that Hadam Nefesh, the blood, represents the soul of a living creature. The third parak also emphasizes the value of life by encouraging us to avoid arayot and follow the mitzvot that we should observe and live through observance. 
Rabbi Akiva explains the Pasuk comes to teach not only the schar we get in the next world for Kiyom HaMitzvot, but also the preciousness of life in this world. This preciousness ger- generates the halacha of Pikuach Nefesh. Saving a life is so important that we do so even if it, vi- it means violating most Averot. The Rambam and his Talmud, Rabbeinu Bechaya, go even further and interpret the Pasuk as teaching us that mitzvot are meant to facilitate life lived in this world in the best possible way. The mitzvot teach us how to interact with family, with others, with Hashem, and what our life's mission is meant to be. Each of the prakim emphasized the value of life because this is the best response to death. Death, like that of Nadav Naviyu, can cause the depreciation of life. The Torah urges us to take the reverse approach. When you confront death, focus on appreciating life. The proper response to Avram Avinu's death is not Esav selling his Bechora out of his loss of hope, but Yaakov baking the oval lentils that symbolize the significance found in the circle of life. That is why Yaakov was chosen over Esav, and this has always been Judaism's outlook. Though we believe in and look forward to Olam Haba, our focus is on life in Olam Hazeh. Kohelet sobers us with the inevitability of death, but his conclusion is not that life lacks meaning, but rather that it must be maximized. He concludes his safer with Softavara Kol Nishma. The recognition of death should drive us to maximize our life of Torah and mitzvot. While others are infatuated with death, we focus on life and maximize it. Many have demonized us and continue to. Many have tried to wipe us out and still try to. Our response is to appreciate and celebrate the great gift of life that these attempts help us appreciate more. Rabbi Goldstein in San Diego responded, both Bishat Hamaisa during the shooting and afterwards after surgery was unable after surgery was unable to save his fingers with three words, Am Yisrael Chai. He told his Kehila that all Kehilot and all Kehilot had to respond to the attack by celebrating our lives more. We see this idea in the commemoration in the days of commemoration that fall this week. Like Israel, every country has a memorial day to commemorate the lives of soldiers lost in battle. In no country, though, does the day bring a total shutdown, the placing of a flag next to the grave of each individual, and the recital of the name of each soldier from the parliament podium and on television throughout the entire day. Judaism and Jews have a unique appreciation for life, and therefore for life lost. We see the same spirit in our people's response to the Holocaust. The murder of six million could easily have completely demoralized the Jewish people. Miraculously, our parents and grandparents responded otherwise. They intensified their commitment to and efforts toward rebuilding families, communities, and the state of Israel. They saw every life lived, every family and community built in the state of Israel as their victory over Hitler, and they were right. There's a phrase in Israel used to inspire the living after a life is lost. It is a phrase that perfectly sums up this approach. In their death, they command us to live. Many have lost their lives. We appreciate them by living our lives to the fullest. How inspiring is it to be part of this special people? The more we are demonized, the more we appreciate how special we are. The more we're attacked, the more we commit ourselves to appreciating our lives. The more the state of Israel is slighted, the more strongly we rally to her defense. After a week when we were attacked, both physically and verbally, but at the same time, 
one that began with Yisker, the memory of meaningful lives lived, and ended with Yom HaShoah and the reading of Parsha Dachremot. There's no better way for us to be inspired as we move toward the reflection of Yom HaZikaron and the celebration of Yom HaTzmaut. Let's reflect on the miracles of Jewish history, both in the distant and recent past, and, no less importantly, on the resilience of the Jewish spirit based on our firm belief in the value of life. Let's know how to use Yom HaShoah and Parsha Dachremot to move from Yiskor to Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut. Kibumotam tzivu lanu et hachayim. Acharemot v'chai bahem. Those are the words of uh, Rabbi Ruvain Tarragon. He posted his text from a drasha he gave in Chicago last Shabbat. And I felt it was a very effective manner with which to begin our Yom HaZikaron observance here at JM in the AM. Today is Memorial Day in Israel. Today is, in fact, a day when the sirens wailed this morning. Today is, in fact, a day that we remember the tens of thousands who've given their lives in defense of the state of Israel, fighting for the state of Israel, and being victims of terror attacks in the state of Israel. Today is Yom HaZikaron. Tonight, Israel Independence Day, and tomorrow we get to celebrate Israel 71 and all the amazing accomplishments that we just read about, all the amazing accomplishments that we continue to enjoy. Today is day number 18 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. This is JM in the AM.
Today is Memorial Day. Tonight begins the 71st anniversary celebration of the State of Israel on Yom Ma'ut. We have events going on in this area, which we'll go through and uh, share with you. It's day 18 in the counting of the Omer, day number 18. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Galit Sal in the background to our news from Israel coming up. Today is Yom HaZikaron, L'chalei Marachot Yisrael, V'nifke'i Pulot Today is Israel Memorial Day for those who have given their lives in defense of the state of Israel, specifically those who have fought on behalf of the state of Israel and for Jews worldwide. We should remember that. And those who've been uh, who've been killed by the enemy in terror attacks and Al-Kiddush Hashem for simply being Jews or simply being those who care about Israel and who love Israel. Today is Israel Memorial Day. Sirens wailed this morning. Throughout the state, and this is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web, and AchimSigel.com, and the AchimSigel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Miad acharei achadashot, Yaron Vilenski, im ele haachim sheli. מירושלים השעה שתיים, כאן רן יבנאי עם מה שקורה עכשיו. יום הזיכרון תשע"ט. לפני זמן קצר הסתיים בהר הרצל בירושלים טקס האזכרה הממלכתי לזכרם של שלושת אלפים מאה וחמישים אזרחים שנרצחו בפעולות איבה מאז קום המדינה. ראש הממשלה נתניהו התייחס בפתח דבריו לסבב הלחימה האחרון בעזה ואמר המערכה מול חמאס רחוקה מסיום. צה"ל פעל בתקיפות נגד גורמי הטרור בעזה, המערכה לא הסתיימה. אנו מחשבים את צעדינו בשיקול דעת כדי להבטיח את ביטחון ישראל. איזה תהום מוסרית פעורה בינינו לבין המרצחים הנקלים, אנחנו רוצים רק לבנות. 
והם רוצים רק להרוס. בבתי העלמין הצבאיים ברחבי הארץ הסתיימו מוקדם יותר טקסי הזיכרון לזכרם של 23,741 החללים במערכות ישראל, מדווח כתבנו הצבאי צחי דבוש. למעלה ממיליון וחצי איש השתתפו בחמישים ושניים הטקסים הממלכתיים בבתי העלמין הצבאיים ברחבי המדינה וכן במאות טקסים נוספים בחלקות הצבאיות, באנדרטאות וביישובים מקריית שמונה ועד אילת. את בית העלמין בהר הרצל פקדו מאה ועשרים אלף איש ראש אגף משפחות והנצחה במשרד הביטחון אריה מועלם סיפר כי כחצי מיליון גולשים הדליקו נר זיכרון באתר יזכור עוד בחדשות, בצל נסיגתה של איראן מהסכם הגרעין, שר החוץ של רוסיה לברוב נפגש עם שר החוץ של איראן זריף והאשים את ארצות הברית. המצב שנוצר סביב הסכם הגרעין הוא בלתי מתקבל על הדעת. מזג האוויר למחר, הטמפרטורות תהיינה נמוכות מהרגיל בעונה. בשעות הצהריים ייתכנו גשמים מקומיים מלווים בסופות רעמים בערי הצפון והמרכז. מיד בגלי צה"ל, משדר ההנצחה המרכזי, אלה האחים שלי, שבמסגרתו חיילים מלחינים ומבצעים שירי נופלים. רב סמל דני ברקוביץ', מפקד טנק בחיל השריון, נפל בקרב הפריצה לתל יוספון ביומה החמישי של מלחמת יום הכיפורים. הוא כתב את השיר "איני רוצה לישון". The Jerusalem Post reports that the Prime Minister of Israel said on Wednesday, today, just hours after Iran announced that it will continue its nuclear program, that Israel will not let Iran attain nuclear weapons. The Prime Minister's comments came at the government's Central Remembrance Day ceremony at the Har Herzl Military Cemetery, honoring the country's 23,741 fallen soldiers. I do remind everybody that today... is Yom HaZikaron, Israel's Memorial Day. And I look forward to the time when we'll be able to sit down for a full-length conversation in studio with my following guest, but uh, because today is the day that his book has been released, and I know he's traveling extensively, uh, we wanted to make sure to grab a few minutes with Yaakov Katz. Yaakov Katz is editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post. The brand-new book available now is entitled Shadow Strike, Inside Israel's Secret Mission to Eliminate Syrian Nuclear Power. Yaakov Katz, shalom. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Thanks, Nachum. Great to be here. How significant is it that the Prime Minister makes that announcement regarding Iran, and on the same day you're telling the story about what happened back in, uh, in 2007? I wish I could tell you it was one big plan that me and the Prime Minister <laughs> planned together, but as you know, it doesn't work that way. Uh, I mean, look, the, the reason this is all happening is because, as you know, these are stories and these are threats and these are challenges that just do not go away. They keep on coming back, right? In 1981, Israel bombed Iraq's reactor that Saddam Hussein was building. In 2007, Assad's reactor in Syria. That's the story that I tell in my new book, How That Happened. And one day on the horizon, The Iranians are still trying to get their hands on nuclear weapons, and that might happen also. And Israel might need to make that decision one day down the road again. So these are just these are threats, these are cycles, these are challenges that will keep on coming at Israel as long as these enemies fail to recognize one simple fact, and that is that the Jewish state is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. We're not disappearing, and they need to recognize that. You know what I love about your book? Um, for those of us who tend to be armchair quarterbacks or maybe more accurately armchair generals, 
we sometimes don't consider the thought and the considerations and the uh, and and the um, factors that go into making a major decision like bombing a nuclear facility. And your book really tells the story how both in Israel and the United States, some really well-informed, serious people, and again, a lot of people don't always look at people like, you know, former Prime Minister Olmert and former President Bush as serious people, but you see how they are taking a lot of things into consideration and making very difficult decisions. I agree 100%. I think what you have is a perfect example in this book of how the government is meant to make decisions, how tough decisions are made, and how they're meant to consider all of their different options, the governmental process that goes into it. That's the beauty of this book, really, is to some extent, is how it worked on the Israeli side, how it worked on the American side. And and all of that together, what came at the end with the decision made by Israel and the decision then not to attack, but Israel's decision to attack. So can we conclude, or do you conclude, that Israel, Olmert, acted without U.S. permission? Would, would, would you put it that way? No, there was no U.S. permission. There was no green light, but there was also no red light. And that, that's what made the story interesting, right? Bush came back to Olmert. Uh, Israel came to the United States in March, in April of 2007, brought them the intelligence they had discovered in a Mossad operation carried out in Vienna, Austria. They brought the intelligence to the United States and said, and Ulmer basically said to Bush, you, you got to take action. you got to take out this reactor because it's important America sends a message to the world, and particularly not just to Syria, but also to Iran, right, that Iran was the greater threat looming on the horizon. The Americans ultimately in July decided not to attack. And what happened was Israel said, okay, if you're not going to do it, we're going to do it. But at no point did Bush say to Omar, well, you can't do it, right? We're not going to let you do it. It didn't work that way. And I think that had to do with the special relationship between those two leaders, but also with the fact that Israel was credited with discovering it. If it hadn't been for Israel, no one would have known that this reactor was being built. And you can only imagine what the world would have looked like had we not discovered this reactor. ISIS took over that region in Syria just a few years later. Now imagine that reactor had been built, not destroyed. You'd have ISIS with nuclear capabilities inside Syria back in 2011, 2012. Unbelievable. How frightening a thought. Yaakov Katz is with us. The brand new book is entitled Shadow Strike, Inside Israel's Secret Mission to Eliminate Syrian Nuclear Power. I am highly, highly recommending it on this Yomazi Karon. Um we know those of us who you know were were old enough to to live through it and appreciate the news of the day. We know what the world reaction was in 1981 when um, uh, Prime Minister Begin uh, took the action against Iraq's nuclear reactor. Remind us of the reaction after what Israel did in 2007. I'll tell you one quick story. Right, the the Israel attacks and America had said we prefer a diplomatic option. Omer told Bush. You know, uh, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to have to do it. And America gave Israel the space to do it. After the attack, a few hours later, I tell the story in Shadow Strike in the book. Omer calls up Bush. Bush is in Australia. He tracks him down, and he gets him on the phone. He says, you know, basically, uh, remember that thing that was bothering us up in the north? Because he still wanted to be careful not to say anything that anyone would hear. So Bush says, yes. Omer says to him, well, I want you to know it doesn't exist anymore. So Bush says back to him, you know, oh, that's very interesting. He asks him, do you anticipate a response? 
Olmert says to him, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a response for now. Bush says, okay, that's also interesting. And then he pauses, and then he says to Olmert, the President of the United States says to the Israeli Prime Minister, I want you to know that if there will be a response, all of America stands behind you. Now, to me, that one little conversation is just an example of how this relationship really works between our two countries, right? We, we often hear about the unbreakable, unshakable, impenetrable bond that we have between Israel and the U.S., but this is just one conversation taking place between a president and a prime minister. We don't hear about it. We can imagine what goes on on those phone conversations between Trump and Netanyahu, between Robin and Clinton, between other prime ministers over the years and presidents. That's pretty amazing, right? You know, that's not an off-the-cuff statement that some president just says. So, you know, you talked about the reaction. There wasn't a suspension of F-15s like in 1981 or condemnations at the U.N. Security Council. That was the reaction Israel got from the United States. Hmm, unbelievable. Um, is this something that you think Assad has deep in his memory and, and, and thinks often about, I don't know, either some type of retaliation or, you know, in, in some way making sure Israel pays the price for what they did? Look, I think for years, one of the reasons Israel was quiet and, you know, for over a decade, Israel officially did not say a word about what had happened because they feared that if they ever said anything, they would embarrass Assad. They would give him an excuse to retaliate. I don't think that's no, that's longer relevant, especially considering what's happened in Syria with the civil war. But, um, I'm definite that Assad, I feel that Assad definitely remembers this. He has a memory. He recalls what happened and more, less a, a military operation because that wasn't something so incredible that they were able to cross the border and, and, and bomb this thing. But it was the, the way they got the, the, the intelligence to penetrate his inner circle. No one knew about this within his inner circle, select few people, and Israel was able to discover it. Now, remember, they discovered it just months before it was supposed to go active, not when it started construction, not when he started thinking about it, just months before it was supposed to be activated. And, and I think that he remembers. He remembers how he needs to be careful because the Israelis are watching, right? And, and Israeli, Israel's intelligence is, is impressive, and, and thankfully they were able to discover this thing. The book is called Shadow Strike, Inside Israel's Secret Mission to Eliminate Syrian Nuclear Power, written by Yaakov Katz, editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post. The book is available today, and we are, of course, highly recommending it. Um, the the intelligence cooperation, uh, was this a significant step toward where we are today? Uh, I don't know what type of access Mayor Dagan and people like him had in Washington, I don't know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, etc. Uh, was this a watershed moment in terms of cooperation between the two countries? Yeah, it's a great question, Achim, and I think you're, you, the way you described it is 100% accurate. It was a watershed moment, because until then, the relations between the CIA and the Mossad, between the, the two different intelligence communities, had slightly deteriorated, and it had to do, to some extent, with there wasn't that much respect at the time uh, in, in the early 2000s with Israel's intelligence capabilities here in the United States. And when Israel came with this intelligence, that changed everything. And what you saw in the years since, in the immediate aftermath, were, were a series of operations against Hezbollah, against Syria, against Iran, all together, right? Uh, Stuxnet is an example, that cyber weapon that was done together between Israel and the United States, was, was a result of this watershed moment, as you described it, of where the countries came together, they worked together, and they, and they built an alliance and, and a new relationship, more intimate than in the past, with more respect and mutual admiration that allowed for these joint operations moving forward. Really amazing. Um, 
if I was writing this book after having read what you wrote, um, I would say to myself uh, as I'm writing it, and I and I would <laughs> I'd be sitting there considering this the entire time. What would have happened if fill in the blank Reagan, Carter, Obama, uh, Clinton, um, even today Trump was president? Did you sit through this process wondering how different history might be, or how much more difficult things might have been for Israel if someone other than George Bush was sitting in the White House? That's one definite question, but there's also a lot more what-ifs. There's what if Israel had not discovered it? What if Israel had not acted? What if it had not been bombed? What if ISIS had been allowed to take over a reactor? And and, and what if, uh, for example, look at North Korea. North Korea was building this reactor for Syria. What if North Korea had been made to pay a price back in 2007? Would they be testing ballistic missiles just like they did this past week? Would they still be, be defying the world like they continue to do? So there's a ton of what ifs. And, and that's why, you know, obviously we're not, you can't go back in time. But what we can do from this book, and this is what I think, is learn the lessons, is, is use it as a blueprint for the way not only decisions are meant to be made, but the way threats are meant to be dealt with. And, and that's the big lesson, not just for Israel, not just for the United States, but I think for the entire world, because these challenges are not going away, right? Iran is still there. North Korea is still there. And it makes all the more the reason why we cannot allow the Iranians to get nuclear weapons. Right. You make the point that I think that it, I think it was part of the excerpt in the New York Post also when I first saw it earlier in the week, um, uh, that Israel and uh, and Iraq were not neighbors, were not, you know, border neighbors uh, in in 1981, as opposed to Israel and Syria, which obviously, if one looks at the map, are border neighbors. Uh, based on your research and having completed Shadow Strike, would you say that there's no way Israel at this point would ever hesitate to go whatever distance, and I mean in kilometers, to take out uh, to take out a facility they feel needs to be taken out in Iran? I can't say that with 100% confidence, because every case is different, more complicated. The Iranians have learned the, the, the lessons of Syria and, and Iraq. It, but in both of those cases, in 81 and 07, they were single facilities above ground. Now the Iranians have scattered their facilities, some of them deep underground. I, don't, I still think that Israel has the capability, not necessarily to destroy everything, but to set them back. But that will come at a great price and cost, and, and, and that's why we need the world involved. And I think what you see over the last few years is definitely not just the ratcheting up of sanctions, not just this, this attempt to get to a deal, and even if it was a bad deal, but the, the effort on its own was, was the intention was a good intention, right? And now the U.S. is trying to get the Iranians to renegotiate a better deal. It doesn't seem like that's working for the time being. But I think that, you know, it's possible. This, this doctrine known as the Begin Doctrine from Menachem Begin, who, who ordered the strike in 1981, still exists. That's what Olmert basically showed, is that what happened in 81 is still relevant in 2007. And I think one day we might need to make that decision again when it comes to the Iranians, right? But you also have to ask yourself, and this is in the book I asked this question, until when, right? At what point does Israel say, you know, we can't live by the sword? And I don't think that we're at that stage yet. Sadly, right? Because people ask that question. I mean, what you're going to keep on attacking? You're going to keep on bombing? You're going to keep on fighting? And the answer, sadly, is for better, for worse. Yes, because as long as these neighbors, these enemies, do not recognize the simple fact that we're here to stay, this will have to continue, and we will have to be stronger than them, have to be a step ahead of them, and have to constantly be preparing for what might come. I know. I got to let you go. Yakov Katz is with us. So the book is called Shadow Strike. 
And I do look forward. I hope you'll be able to visit us for a full-length conversation one day. But before I let you go, before I let you go, if this wasn't JM in the AM, and you know you know, essentially who the audience is you're speaking to right now, but if you were asked by MSNBC or by CNN to give a comment uh, that we as Americans should know about regarding Israel's Memorial Day, what would you say? First of all, I usually try to talk the same no matter where I'm speaking, but I do know your audience, and they're all amazing people. <laughs> you do a great job, Nahum, so I appreciate it. But what would I say is I would say is that Israel has, for 71 years, been trying to do the best it can at creating a state that's democratic, that's Jewish, that's independent, to defend itself by itself. And what, what we essentially, we see now the 23,000-plus Israeli soldiers, terrorist victims who have paid with their lives for us to be able to live in the modern Jewish state. That's an amazing country, and it should be applauded. The world should be looking at this and say, what an amazing miracle that the Israelis and the Jews have been able to establish. That's what's really needed. I wish you congratulations, Mazal Tov, on the book. And uh, what I what I like most about it, frankly, is that the way you tell the story, it's really appropriate for all ages. And I think that's an amazing accomplishment when it comes to the field of diplomacy and, and politics. So call like a vote to you and, uh, Thank and, you and good luck with it. Thank you. Shadow Strike, written by Yaakov Katz, inside Israel's secret mission to eliminate Syrian nuclear power. We are highly recommending it. And the good news is it is available now everywhere and certainly online. Wednesday morning. Today is Yoma Zikaron. Today we remember the thousands, the tens of thousands who have given their lives in defense of the state of Israel and Al-Kidush Hashem on this Yom HaZikaron morning at JM in the AM.
Israel amcha tashim leholam shalom al Israel amcha tashim leholam shalom al Israel amcha. J.M. and the A.M. on this Yom Karon as we continue on Israel's Memorial Day. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas Rav Zebun Yosef Alevi, and Zechonishmas Esther Basar Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. When analyzing the problem of children at risk, we realize that many times there wasn't someone who knew how to deal with them correctly, how to praise them, not to negatively criticize them, not to always say what they didn't do right and what they have done that still needs to be corrected. Recently, 
There was a wealthy businessman who came from London. He came with a hundred thousand dollars in cash. Along the way, he was accosted by three thieves. They demanded that he give over all of his money, otherwise they're going to kill him. The Yid tried to engage them in discussion. He saw that one of them was their leader. So he turned to him and said, I see you're a person that has many talents. You look like an understanding, intelligent person. Why do you need my money? The guy was shocked by the question. And he said, I'm going to tell you why. I need it to buy drugs. How much do you need exactly? asked the businessman. The man said, I need $50. The man gave him a hundred sterling and said, here's double what you need, but leave me alone. Miraculously, these words were effective. The thief took the hundred and he left along with the other two. The next day, the Yid comes to Shul and he sees outside that the leader of the thieves were standing in the doorway waiting for him. He said to himself, he must have come to demand the rest of the money. However, the young man explained, I told you I only needed 50 and you gave me a hundred. I would like to return the $50 that I didn't use. The Yid asked him to explain what had changed from the day before. Yesterday, you wanted to steal all my money, and today, you're returning the extra $50. The thief replied, I'm 27 years old, and until today, I never heard from anyone that I'm a good person. No one ever told me that I made a positive impression. You are the first who has ever said these words to me. This encounter turned me around. I decided it's not right for me to steal your money. I will eventually return even the money that I did take from you to buy the drugs. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizik. Have a nice day. J.M. in the A.M. Wednesday morning on this Yom Zikaron. And um, many of you, especially in the Teaneck area, <clears throat> are, uh, are aware of the fact that a distinguished panel of guests are expected at Congregation Beth Shalom on Maitland Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey, on the 19th of May for a fundraising breakfast to benefit Magain David Adom, Israel's National Emergency Medical Services Organization. And on a day when we commemorate the memory of those who have uh, fallen in defense of the state of Israel, it is good to remember that we have an obligation to help support and fund those who continue to save lives in the state of Israel. L.E.Y. Katz, a good friend of ours and has been uh, an amazing leader in the Teaneck community and beyond for many, many years, is with us live via telephone with some special guests who are going to tell us more about what's happening on May the 19th. Ellie, welcome back to JM in the AM. Nachum, good morning, and good morning to all your uh, listeners. This, How are you doing? Did you recover from Pesach? <laughs> long ago. This is not the first time that you and your family are involved in a Magain David Adom event, correct? Correct. This is our second breakfast for Israel in um, 
Bergen County in the last two years. Pretty good. And, uh, and and the response that you guys have gotten has been amazing, Baruch Hashem. You've done some special things with this. Um, all right. Um, tell us who's with us live via telephone so we can get into the uh, details about what's going to be happening on the 19th. So we have Lori Bandreamer, who's uh, from Agenda Vida Dome. She is, uh, um, she, she is our liaison here in Bergen County. And we have uh, Davidi and Natalie Jonas um, from uh, Paramus. Uh, they have been working uh, with with me and with many other Bergen County residents, and you'll hear about the great job they did to help uh, bring awareness about the importance of Magenda Vida Dome, as well as to help uh, raise money for supplies in an ambulance in Israel. All right, we'll start with Lori. Lori is Associate Director of the Northeast Region of American Friends and Magenda Vida Dome. Lori, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Tell me about the response that um, that you get and your colleagues get on this side of the world, how the American Jewish community in general, not just in New Jersey, has been very supportive of the efforts of Magen David Adom. It's so vitally important, and it's wonderful that in um, the United States, where American French is located, there's um, friends of Magen David Adom all around the world, that the Jews in the diaspora, especially here in the United States, respond so wonderfully to making sure that, because Magin Davina Dome is a non-government agency. It's just, it, it exists on donations from outside of Israel. And started in 1930, as 1940, American Friends started, and we were the first to start funding Magin Davina Dome. So it's so vitally important, and everyone seems to understand that Israel needs to have these emergency services and the blood centers, supply the blood to all the hospitals and to the IDF critical, especially during times of war, which we seem to be in all the time, and especially the last few days. And it's just a wonderful response that we get, that people understand the, the obligation, and it's not even so much an obligation, more than it's just a love of Israel, and they want to do it. They want to make sure the people of Israel and their guests are safe if they're in Israel, and we're just happy that, that they do, and we're able to create wonderful technologies and to keep the people safe, and we're just so glad that Everyone feels this, this love of Israel. And, 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 and Lori, I love the point you just made. We get an opportunity to really show, to have our love for Israel uh, be manifested in a concrete and practical manner, and that is by supporting the cause. And that's why we're asking all of our listeners, especially the ones in Bergen County, be there as Magain David Adom invites you to Breakfast for Israel 2019, hosted by Ellie Katz and the American Friends of Magain David Adom Northeast Region. is happening Sunday, May the 19th, starting at 11 a.m. Ambassador Ido Aroni, wonderful guy, he's going to be serve, serving as the keynote speaker. Uh, Mohammed Hamodidin, who is the uh, Teaneck mayor, the mayor of Teaneck, New Jersey, is going to be speaking. Sari Singer will speak. She's the founder of Strength to Strength, and there will be many presentations that day as well. Mark Schwartz with the MDA Life Saving Award. Um, presented by uh, Jan Meyer. Yavna Academy, presentation by Natalie and Davidi Jonas, who we'll speak to in a moment. Judah Engelmeyer, who we, of course, know very well, the Public Safety Award. And certificates of recognition provided by Assemblyman Gary Scher, also a great friend of uh, our community. It's all happening at Congregation Beth Shalom on Maitland Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. The event will help raise funds in support of my Gain David Adome. Uh, you can go to afmda.org, and we'll ask uh, Ellie in a minute 
regarding uh, how to specifically respond to the uh, to the call in the Bergen County area. Natalie and Davidi, could you tell us how you first got involved in the work of my game David Adome? Uh, first of all, thank you for having us on, Malcolm. Uh, it's a privilege to be on. Um, oh, Natalie was letting me speak on our behalf. Um, <laughs> we were we were really introduced to, uh, again, David Adome, first of all, obviously from being in Israel and seeing the ambulances and seeing the, the paramedics and just recognizing the importance seeing my parents go to give blood at the blood center in Israel. Um, so, so seeing it from a young age and then... More recently, uh, our dear friends Esther and Ellie Katz were being honored, and uh, when Esther shared that they were sending the ambulance in honor of her father and how he was someone who would constantly go to give blood to try and do whatever he could to help people, to save people, um, and just to, to hear them share about Megan David Adam at the dinner, how it's really uh, a service to uh, Am Yisrael, a service to everyone who lives in the United Israel. Um, it, you know, we just uh, felt inspired and, and privileged to be able to to be part of Megan Davidov's mission of, of helping people. And Ellie mentioned uh, earlier um, in the introduction of our panel for this morning that uh, you've been specifically involved in the area of uh, of supplies and you know practical uh, uh, needs of the Megan Davidov uh, personnel. Is that something that you and your family have uh, undertaken? Uh, so we we've tried to partner with uh, a number of schools in the in the neighborhood to use this as an opportunity both to provide assistance to Megan David Adom and uh, supplies, ambulances, training, etc. But also as a way to engage uh, students in the community, uh, the next generation of leaders of the Jewish people and of supporters of Israel, so that they by raising funds and learning about Megan David Adom being able to meet paramedics, see the ambulances, understand the important work and how it's really going to save lives. And maybe one day they'll be able to volunteer. Um, so hopefully to engage the next generation as well, it will have the dual purpose of having the, the tangible, practical value of being able to help uh, people on the ground in Israel today and hopefully inspire next generation of leaders for tomorrow. Ellie, how amazing is it that 6,000 miles away, this could be used not only as a chesed opportunity, but as an educational tool to really get our kids in the community involved in a great cause? It's really amazing. And, you know, I'll tell you, one of Magen David Adom's real issues, and the reason, one of the reasons we're having our breakfast is that they do their work too well. Meaning they're so professional and they're so responsive. There are so many volunteers that people really take it for granted. And, and I would think that most people who are in Israel or beyond feel that it's a government agency. Right. You know, although if it was a government agency, it might not be run so well. But, you know, the, the, so that is one of the real issues. And that's why we're here trying to raise funds because it's not a government agency, and it's supported by um, by contributions, and, it's, and they rely on these contributions, and they're really life-saving. Imagine this week, 600 rockets flying over Israel. How busy Magen David Adom was. I got pictures, and when you donate an ambulance, you also get a history of every single call that that ambulance goes on every single year. And um, you, you really feel like you're making a difference. I mean, you're, you're honestly really saving lives when you do this. You know, you just brought up such an important point. Lori, what did you hear from Israel? What did you hear from your colleagues 
in terms of the weekend and the week that they had with this terrible attack, this barrage of missiles and rockets that were uh, uh, that were being rained upon Israel during those few days. What's interesting about my game, David Dome, is that they don't wait until they get called because it's an emergency. When they know, when they get, uh, when they find out that missiles are flying, they're already on their way, That's wherever true. they're going, right. just in case. Right. Even if nothing happens, even if they're not needed, right. they're already there. That's true. And they dispatched hundreds of different uh, vehicles. I don't have the exact numbers yet because they're still compiling them for exactly how many vehicles and which kind. But there were hundreds of vehicles dispatched to different areas in Israel. There were four fatalities, as we know. Right. And there was a lot of other injuries, which they transported people to the hospitals in the local areas. And they were already on site, ready to go. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that's been described to us on the air before. How they literally, not, not that they're prophets, but at this point we, we often know, or I should say in Israel, they often know where to expect these missiles and rockets. And Magin David Adom, you know, preemptively, preemptively acts in order to be, you know, at the right place at the right time, so to speak. And that's a very important exactly. factor. That's a really important factor. I'm glad you brought that up. All right, May the 19th, Ellie Katz. We know what we want. We want as many people in Bergen County. We want as many people in New Jersey and New York to come and enjoy the breakfast May the 19th in um, in um, Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, we know in the past it's always been a great event. You do have an amazing lineup. i got to tell you, you have fantastic people getting awards and wonderful people making presentations. Uh, at this point, just tell us what to do. People who want to support My Game David Dome, what should they do? Who should they email? Who should they call uh, with their uh, RSVP? So, th- so thank you so if uh, anyone who wants to join, they should go to uh, AFMDA, American Friends of M- of Again, David Adome, it's AFMDA.org forward slash breakfast 2019. That's AFMDA.org forward slash breakfast 2019. And uh, we really need, uh, especially now, we need as many people as we can get to come to this breakfast and help support. We're going to be giving, uh, actually, Natalie and David are going to be giving a, a certificate to right. Yavna. They were helpful in helping them um, send another ambulance. Yavna just sent another ambulance to Israel. So it's going to be a great breakfast. Looks like it's going to be an amazing event. Sunday, May the 19th, everybody. My game, David Adome, invites you to Breakfast for Israel 2019. Uh, Ellie Katz and AFMDA Northeast Region, Sunday the 19th of May at 11 a.m. at Beth Shalom, excuse me, at, uh, yeah, Beth Shalom, 354 Maitland Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. Ambassador Ido Aharoni, who is always a great entertaining speaker, he is great. Uh, Israel's former Consul General in New York will be there. Uh, the mayor of Teaneck, as we said, uh, is going to be speaking. Sari Singer, founder of Strength to Strength, Mark Schwartz, the MDA Life-Saving Award uh, presented by Jan Meyer, Yavna Academy Recognition presented by Natalie and Davidi Jonas, Judah Engelmeyer, we mentioned a Public Safety Award, and Assemblyman Gary Scher is involved. You have some amazing people who are all part of it. Go to afmda.org slash breakfast2019, afmda.org slash breakfast2019. I thank all of you for joining us. Um, enjoy celebrating... Israel Independence Day tonight, and I hope the 19th of May is a major success for my game, David Adom. Tadarabat to all of you. Thank you, Nachum. We really appreciate your Thank support. You, a real pleasure, and I really hope it's a very, very 
successful event. Wednesday morning, today is Yom HaZikaron. As we remember our brothers and sisters who have fallen in the state of Israel, you're listening to JM in the AM. Wednesday morning on day 18 in the counting of the Omer. Day 18 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Um, well, t- today is Yom HaZikaron, as you know. Today is uh, Israel Memorial Day. Tonight is Israel's Independence Day. Uh, there are a lot of unique programs that are going on tonight. We'll go through some of them in, a, in, the, in the next few minutes. Um, we encourage everybody to be part of the Yom Ha'atzmaut celebrations this evening as we celebrate Israel's 71, and of course our special tomorrow morning between 6 and 9 a.m. Um, the Dean of Lamdenu, Rachel Friedman, is with us live via telephone. She and the Lamdenu organization invite you to experience Yom Ha'atzmaut. It's a community celebration for women. A community celebration for women. Happening Thursday, tomorrow, Yom Ha'atzmaut, beginning at 9 a.m. right after JM and the AM and the Yom Ha'atzmaut special until 2 p.m. Tzvilat Chagigit will start at 9. 10.15 for breakfast, shira with live music and more. 12.30 for Israeli films and lunch. And at 2 p.m. the program ends with Tehillim and Hatikva. Go to lamdenu.org slash Israel. lamdenu.org slash Israel and get ready to celebrate the 71st birthday of the state of Israel. Dean Rachel Friedman, welcome back to JM in the AM. 
How are you, Nachum? We haven't spoken in a while. That, it's really that wonderful is, to listen to your show and to speak to you at the same time. Thank you. That is true that we haven't spoken in a while. And as I'm introducing you, I'm saying to myself, I wonder where they are now in the semester of Lamdenu. Are we in the middle, at the end? What's going on these days? We are towards the end of our spring semester. It'll end in a few weeks, but we go on all year round. We never take a vacation because the Jewish calendar never takes a vacation. <laughs> and we want, it's true, it's true, like yourself. I mean, <laughs> we want to be able to inspire people through Torah and through experiential programming all year round. And the Jewish calendar does not give us a break. So right after we finish our spring semester, we'll have our June and July semester with fabulous teachers, men and women who are just so inspirational and knowledgeable. And let me throw out a few names that we've had recently. Uh, we've had Ms. Shelley Talbis, Ms. Miriam Kripke Berger, Rabbi Chaim Angel, Rabbi Daniel Fridman. Uh, I teach occasionally too, even though I am Dean, and many, many, many more fabulously wonderful teachers. But Yom Ha'atzma'ut, we have a different and very, very special program. I know you described it a little bit, but I just want to get people to understand what is so unique about our program. All year round, we do learning, and the learning is inspiring. But on Yom Hatzma'ut, we feel that people need to experience and feel exactly that word, feel, more than anything else. It's not so much about the intellectual, but what we're trying to capture for people who are in the United States is the next best thing to being in Israel on Yom Ha'atzma'ut. And many people have told us, I wish I could be in Israel, but this is absolutely the next best thing to being there. So, Nachum, unfortunately, you're not invited. I'm so sorry, because it's only for women. But if you were there, I'm sure you'd have a really very exceptional time, and I hope that you'll invite uh, all your female friends and family. Well, frankly, frankly, I was thrilled to hear uh, that one of the requirements of being uh, at the celebration tomorrow <laughs> is that, the, that each participant must come in having listened to the JM and the AM Yom Ha'atzma'ut special, and I, and I applaud you. Uh, for that regulation that you've uh, instituted over there at Lamdeno. Absolutely. Why do you think that we're starting at 9 a.m. instead of 8.45? Exactly. Exactly at 9 a.m. Do you think this is an accident, a coincidence? Absolutely. Now, you know, you know what you remind me of, by the way, uh, <laughs> as you're describing what's going on tomorrow uh, for the ladies of Lamdenu, it's sort of like you're... you're um, you're misnagdim all year round, but tomorrow you're Hasidic. <laughs> like, you know, you're very you into, know, you're I, very into I, the acad, you're very into the academia all through the entire year. Right. But, 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 but come on, we got to get together and be spiritual, you know? You know, that is such an apt analogy. And it's funny <laughs> that you say that because I actually come from a Hasidic dynasty. Um, but my father was, may he rest in peace, a pulpit rabbi. And people always talked about that combination, you know, of the, of the intellectual and the spiritual Hasidic. So you really make such a good comparison. Thank you. There you so go. let me tell you more about this, like, experiential ruach-filled day that we have. We start out with a very traditional tefillah for women only. 
Um, it's led by Marcia Shulman, this beautiful singing and harmonies, and it's really heartfelt. So that begins our experience. Then there's a Bartora, which will be given uh, by moi, by uh, myself. Um, and we then go downstairs for breakfast. Now, this program has lots of great food. We offer breakfast and lunch and continuous coffee and donuts, etc. And the very next portion of the program is set up in semicircles, and all the women sit and sing Shirat Eretz Yisrael from the time of the establishment of the Medina until the present. We have live music. And we have a songbook that's about 40 pages long. And we have classics like Bashana Haba'ah, Yushalayim Shel Zahav, and Shara Mashech, and more recent songs like Vehisha Anda. And people are sitting there and they're experiencing and they're emoting. And we stop the live music and singing about at 20 minute intervals. And we hear a personal reflection. This is not a Dvar Torah. This is a personal reflection of one of our students on their, his, on her, I have to say, her connection with Medinat Yisrael. So tomorrow we're having Dr. Monique Katz, who is a fabulous individual given so much to our community, both in her uh, medical field and every other way here and in Israel. And she will talk about her personal feelings for Eretz Yisrael, and she comes to Londeinu about three times a week. And then we'll have Rebetzin Basti Taubis, um, fabulous, wonderful uh, speaker and individual, and she'll share with us. And it's, you're right, it's completely different than what we do all year round. We do learning that's inspiring, but here in your personal reflections, I don't want to say there isn't allowed to be an ounce of Torah, but it really has to be how you personally connect with Eretz Yisrael, and it usually makes me cry. And then we have lunch. Lunch is very important. Uh, it's a, a program from 9 to 2. And then we have our Israeli culture portion, which is uh, Israeli films. And Esti Melo, my program director, who's also a wonderful recording artist, she and I go through about 100 films, and we come up with ones that we think will fill our theme for this year. And what we look for is a slice of life of the experience of living in Eretz Yisrael. It's not propaganda. Um, it's not to make a point. And this year, we're looking at relationships both in the Dati Lumi community and the Haredi Chiloni Dati communities. And they're fabulous films, mostly from the Malet Institute. I think one of them is about a young woman who has amnesia, and she forgets who she's engaged to and has an interesting plot there. Um, then we have one about a, uh, a Dati Lumi couple, but the... A uh, young woman thinks that the young man learns Torah all day, and in fact, he uh, is observant but doesn't learn Torah all day, and they work that out. And then we had an interesting movie about uh, an, a Chiloni couple, a couple that is secular, 
and the husband decides to become a bratzlaver chassid. So there goes your chassidic theme, Nachum, and they have to work it out. And all these things are aspects of life in Israel that we may not think about, but that's what the movies are being made of, and that's uh, where Israel is at. Israel is so accomplished in every way, technologically, medically, and otherwise, but it has a fabulous and interesting cultural fabric. And what we do in the last portion of our Yom Hatzma'ut event is capture this through film. The lights are out, we have a big screen, and you sit there and you watch these movies and you feel like you're experiencing the joys and challenges of Eretz Yisrael. And then we sing Hatikva, and the day is done. And it's the most fabulous program. I look forward to it all year. Uh, I really wish I could invite you, Nachum. You don't worry about that. I want to make sure all the ladies in our audience are invited. Experience Yamat's Mood with Lamdenu tomorrow, 9 a.m. until 2 p.m. Go to lamdenu.org slash Israel. It happens at uh, 950 Queen Anne Road in Teaneck, New Jersey. Again, go to lamdenu.org slash Israel. The Dean of Lamdenu is Rachel Friedman. Rachel, I, um, I, uh, I, and uh, you, you and I together, <laughs> you and I together, uh, remember those who have fallen on this Yom Hazikaron, and I wish you tremendous success tomorrow celebrating Yom Hatzmot. Thank you so much. The program really begins with yours at 6. So it's that's, really a 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. program. That, that's correct. I, 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 like that's the, right. I, I like the fact that you're with the program. Chag Hatzmot Sameach. Mo'adim l'simchad li'gulash Everybody in Teaneck and the area, take advantage and to be there tomorrow starting at 9 a.m. I uh, also wanted to remind everybody that tonight we'll be at the Mizrahi, Apollo Mizrahi. Uh, Yom Ha'atzmaut starts at 8 p.m. with Tfilat Darvit Baruach Chagigit. Rabbi Menachem Liebteg is in town, and he'll be joining us, and I hope everybody comes from far and wide to hear him. 249 East Broadway. 249 East Broadway again, Tfilat, 8 o'clock. Rabbi Menachem Liebteg on the topic of the vision of a nation versus a nation with a vision. Biblical themes that explain the challenges facing Israel today. It's all happening tonight, 8 p.m. at the Mizrahi. I also remind you that uh, tonight at the Yeshiva of Flatbush, the Joel Braverman High School, the Gindi campus at 6.30 p.m., Rabbi Joseph Beda on what we can learn from dry bones, Rabbi Yahel Tsaidi on the spiritual significance of Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Interactive games, getting to know Israel, a special IDF program, and Tfilat Arvit with a choir presentation, Rikudim, and more starting at 8 p.m. All tonight for a new and unique celebration of Yom Ha'atzmut at Yeshiva Flatbush in Brooklyn, New York. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. And tonight, or I should say today, we remember the 23,741 who have fallen in defense of the state of Israel. You are listening to JM in the AM. Oh, my God. 
on this Yom HaZikaron, J.M. and the M. on this Israel Memorial Day, Milchama Achrona Yehoram Gaon, here at J.M. and the M. It's day 18, the counting of the Omer, day number 18. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Uh, two weeks and four days, day number 18. Tonight is Yom Ha'atzma'ut, of course. Uh, we'll be at the Mizrahi, starting at 8 p.m. for Tefilat Arvit, Rabbi Menachem Liebtag, the internationally acclaimed Bible scholar and pioneer of Jewish education on the Internet is going to be joining us at the Mizrahi. Come by, everybody, at 249 East Broadway at 8 o'clock tonight. You'll be glad you did. Told you what's happening at the Yeshiva of Flatbush. The unique program begins at 630 tonight at the Joel Braverman High School for Yom Ha'atzmaut. And uh, don't forget the Staten Island Division of Israel Bonds and Kojo of Staten Island has a Yom Ha'atzmaut dessert reception with distinguished speaker Sergeant Benjamin Anthony, founder of Our Soldiers Speak. That is happening tomorrow night at 7.30 at the Young Israel of Staten Island. So keep that in mind for tomorrow evening. 20 minutes after 8 o'clock on this Yom HaZikaron. Remember, tomorrow, starting at 6 a.m., it's our Yom HaAtzma'ut special. Tomorrow, starting at 6 a.m., it's our Yom HaAtzma'ut special. Also, this morning at 10 a.m., don't forget, right after Bite Size, this morning at 10 a.m., uh, the second episode in Our Community with the United Task Force. Second episode, Our Community with the United Task Force. It happens at 10 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.
Appropriate that we're about to introduce Rabbi Schneier on this uh, Israel Memorial Day, and we're playing the Hishamda. Some of his recent his experiences are always amazing, but some of the recent ones 
just incredible. Uh, we got a note the other day that Rabbi Schneier was speaking in Oman. And um, not to steal his thunder, we'll introduce him in a moment, but I did get the following quote. He writes, before my keynote address this morning at the Al-Amana Center in Muscat, Oman, at the Global Symposium on the Role of Religion in Reconciliation, I called for a moment of silence for the Jewish victims in the attack of Chabad in Nepaue this past Shabbat. I reminded the gathering that be it Jews in California or Pittsburgh, Christians in Sri Lanka or Muslims in New Zealand, we share a common faith and a common fate, and we must all stand up for one another. He is, of course, the rabbi of the uh, Hampton Synagogue and uh, somebody who is uh, spending a lot of time building bridges and traveling the world, and that is Rabbi Mark Schneier. Rabbi Schneier, I welcome you on this Israel Memorial Day to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. Pleasure to be with you. By the way, that's a good place to start. You, it seems from some of the quotes I saw regarding your recent trip, you're amazed the way now, uh, the way today, some countries and their government officials and leaders react to Israel and the IDF. They're, 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 they are suddenly getting the idea that, um, that, that if you want to advance in this world, it's a good idea to be friendly with both Israel and the Israel Defense Forces. Would that be accurate? It's very appropriate that you began this interview by playing Vihisha Amda. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said this in Oman, I said this recently in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, that at the Passover Seder, when we intone the angel declaration of Vihisha Amda, how in every generation uh, another enemy rises, you know, the HaKadosh Baruch Adam, and that God saves us. From these enemies, if you look at the state of the world today, we've seen rising anti-Semitism in Europe, whether it's the um, Yellow Vest movement in France, whether it's Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, whether it's uh, carnivals in Belgium with caricatures of Hasim grabbing money bags, now you have the two anti-Semitic attacks in Pittsburgh and California, but you also see the hand of God of the HaKadosh Baruch Hu because as things are deteriorating in the West, you have all these newfound opportunities in the East. And when I speak of the East, I, res- I, I speak of the Muslim world and, and Islamic communities. Um, it's just simply, simply remarkable in terms of the outreach on the part of Muslim leaders to the Jewish community, uh, respect, reverence for the State of Israel, the warming of relations between the Gulf and Israel, the wanting to build Jewish life. You know, I've been asked by the leadership of Qatar, Bahrain, UAE, and others to help create a Jewish infrastructure within these countries. So on one hand, in every generation, we've had to counter you know, our enemies and the anti-Semites of the world, but God works in his mysterious ways. And as things are deteriorating for Jews, particularly in Europe, where we're seeing the exponential growth of anti-Semitism, then you, you look at countries in the Gulf, you look at other uh, Muslim countries like Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, 
Um, I was in Baku last week speaking, and it happened to coincide with the opening of the first kosher restaurant in the history of Baku. Unbelievable. I mean, it, it's not only <laughs> unbelievable, it's not some hole in the wall. I mean, you have to see um, the just the, the, the decor, the magnificence of the restaurant itself. And here is a Muslim-majority country with 30,000 Jews, and how President Aliyev treats his Jewish community, or the fact that among the 57 Muslim nations, Azerbaijan is number one when it comes to supporting Israel. And how Azerbaijan is now serving as a model, as an example, as a paradigm for other Muslim countries. We are truly living in remarkable times, and in your infinite wisdom, you have introduced our conversation with the declaration of the Hishamda, that's exactly what we are experiencing today. All right, Mark Schneier is with us on this Israel Memorial Day. Um, how would you classify all this? You, you've made efforts for so many years in so many of the places you just mentioned to build bridges and to close gaps. How would you classify this compared to your expectations? Is this beyond your expectations? Is this something that, uh, not to consider you a prophet, but something that you always felt could be achieved? How would you classify it looking back at the last few years of the conditions that you just described? This process has accelerated over the last few years. I pioneered this field 17 years ago, the field of Muslim-Jewish relations globally. And at first, the objective was to bring 16 million Jews and 1.6 billion Muslims closer together to find the path to narrow the gap, the divide, the chasm. And today it's very much in vogue. It's very chic. You know, Muslim-Jewish relations are real coming together. There are probably no two other faith communities that have more in common historically than Muslims and Jews, only historically, but also theologically. The fact that as an added bonus, we're now seeming, seeing the warming of relations you know, between the Muslim world and Israel, particularly in the Gulf, that to me is the icing on the cake. Right. And, and, and it's very appropriate conversation. So, you know, the state of Israel is responsible for having, and, and particularly the IDF and the soldiers that we remember today, they are the ones responsible for having restored the honor and the dignity of the Jewish people. They have, it's the state of Israel that has charted a new, more dignified role for our people. But this is also a respect and a reverence you now feel on the part of Arab and Muslim leaders for the state of Israel. Uh, there's a certain reverence, there's a certain awe in terms of who Israel, what Israel's today, you know, every poll names it either the eighth and ninth most powerful nation, whether it's economically, militarily, uh, the mystique of the Jewish people. I remember a few years ago I was speaking and uh, I was a guest of the president of Indonesia. Uh, Indonesia is the largest Muslim world in, in uh, the largest Muslim country in the world, in excess of 240 million Muslims. And when I arrived in Jakarta, the president says to me, Rabbi, could you do me a favor? 45 minutes from here by plane is a city called Joe Jakarta. 
that's your Boston. You know, that's uh, our big university college town. Right. Would you mind giving one lecture, you know, to a large gathering of university students, which I did, and think about never meeting a rabbi. The 1,000 students in the audience had never met a Jew before. And right after my presentation, the first question was, Rabbi, Rabbi, tell us, so how many Jews are there in the world? Uh, I'm sorry, they said, how many Jews are there? I said, oh, probably around 16 million. They said, no, no, not in New York. That is the mistake. Right. And that is the absolute um, awe that, that you now find, uh, particularly in the Muslim world, and is wanting to come together uh, with uh, the Jewish community. And we're living in remarkable, extraordinary times. Bye. I mean, you know, the week before Pesach, the idea that in 2019 I'm giving my Shabbos Agadol Drasha in Dubai, <laughs> did in you, the Emirates. Did, did you have a crowd? We had 60 people there. Oh, my gosh, that's unbelievable. Now, most of them are expats. You know, they're from Geneva, they're right. from Zurich, they're from, from uh, South Africa. But, I mean, think about this. Yeah. Giving a Shabbos Haggadol Drasha in Dubai before I went to Israel for Pesach, we are living in simply remarkable, remarkable times. By the way, you'd be proud of me on the subject of uh, Jewish-Muslim relations, because now when I meet someone of the Islamic faith, I go out of my way to wish them an easy fast. And frankly, I don't know if I would have done that five, ten years ago. Exactly. Listen, there's been a high sensitivity. Next time, if you really want to take it to the next level, you say Ramadan Mubarak, (laughs) Ramadan Kareem. You tell them to enjoy their iftar, their breakfast every night. Um, But it's, it's just a growing sensitivity and a growing understanding. You know, I, I spoke about Muslims and Jews as the common faith and the common fate, and it is that single destiny that must strengthen our bonds of concern, compassion, and caring for each other. Rabbi Schneier, um, I want to conclude with the following, uh, and I said this to an earlier guest this morning. Uh, you, you know who you're speaking to. Obviously, you're very familiar with this audience. But if you were asked today by MSNBC or by CNN to give us your thought on Israel Memorial Day, what would you say to that audience? I would say to the audience that every Jew in the world today must recognize what the state of Israel has done for our people. That in 2019, there has never been a greater time in our history to live as a Jew after 2,000 years of persecution and oppression, of subjugation, coercion after 2,000 years of crusades and inquisitions and pogroms and the Holocaust. And today, the fact that the Jewish people walk this earth with a renewed sense of dignity and strength and honor and pride There is one reason, and only one reason for that, and that is the state of Israel. The soldiers that we remember today not only fought for the state of Israel, but fought for the honor and the dignity of the Jewish people, and let us embrace what it means to be alive today and to live as a Jew in 2019. Phenomenal. Is there a Yom Ha'atzmaut celebration at uh, the Hampton Synagogue? I don't know people's schedule, if they're out there yet or not. So I don't... Our season 
actually begins this Friday. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, probably one of our biggest coups, I know this is not competition for you, <laughs> since you're in radio, uh, that as of Friday evening, uh, Memorial Day weekend, May 21st, uh, May 24th, every Friday night, the Kabbalat Shabbat service of the Hampton Synagogue will be televised nationwide on JBS. Now, how do we do this? Shabbos begins at 8. We dive it at 7. From 7 to 7.35, in 44 million homes, people can just turn on their televisions and listen to the glorious, magnificent, unparalleled service conducted by Natano Hershtick and the choir. Once we hit Ms. Morshir halachically, that's when in shul we usher in Shabbat. So from Yedin Nefesh through Lachadodi, then lighting the candles every Friday night from Memorial Day weekend through Labor Day weekend across the country, you can have a taste of the magnificence and the brilliance of the Hampton Synagogue Service. Brilliant is right, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who don't get it, but they have to take my word for it. That is brilliant and just amazing. By the way, I saw that you're bringing your Haram Gaon, one of our favorites and the, the, the highlight of our of our amazing Jewish Unity Initiative in Paris a few years ago. I see you're bringing him this summer to the Hamptons. He's coming. Do you know that for uh, Shavuot? Wow. We're having uh, the Tikkun Leil Shavuot. I'm beginning with a conversation with uh, the Castle Shtisel. It's coming yeah. to us. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's just simply, simply remarkable. So, one second, where does Yoram Gaon fit in? Where's when's he going to be there? Yoram Gaon's coming on Shabbat Nachamu. He's wow. performing Saturday evening. But just to give you a little taste of um, what he'll also be doing as part of that Friday evening broadcast, we'll probably invite him to lead the chanting with the choir of L'Chadodi with Natano Hershtek. Very cool. And you'll be able to watch that live on television on Friday evening. Very cool. Uh, Rabbi Schneier, I thank you. You've enhanced our Yom HaZikaron. I wish you a happy 71 as we celebrate Yom HaTzmut together tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you for giving me the privilege and the honor. I, I appreciate, appreciate that very much. Thank you. 18th day in the counting of the Omer. Today is Yom HaZikaron. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. You're listening to JM in the AM at 20 minutes before 9 o'clock as uh, we continue here at JM in the AM. <laughs>
Sonic
here at the Nahum Siegel Network. We, um, our main studio, for whatever reason, essentially dropped out of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of our broadcast. Uh, how do I put it? Our main studio went offline for a few minutes for some reason, which we don't know why at the moment, but I have my theories. Uh, that's why you heard us uh, bounce back and forth to a, uh, 
to a uh, regular music stream um, situation. Now we're back here at the JM and the AM, a.k.a. Pella, for those of you in theory who would have heard that three-song set, La Mancha, Nar Hayisi, and Kimalachav on this Yom HaZikaron morning at the JM and the AM. It's day 18, the counting of the Omer, five minutes before 9 o'clock. A reminder, tomorrow is Yom HaTzmud, our Yom HaTzmud special between 6 and 9. I look forward to uh, inviting Mayor Weingarten into our studio tomorrow for a uh, Israel 71 celebration. I remind you tonight we're at the Mizrahi with Rabbi Menachem Liebtag. It all starts at 8 p.m. with Tfilat Arvit Baruach Chagigit. Come by at 249 East Broadway. Yom Ha'atzmut at the Yeshiva of Flatbush, that unique and brand new program celebrating uh, Yom Ha'atzmut starts at 6.30 p.m. at the Joel Braverman High School, Yeshiva of Flatbush. So keep that in mind, and we wish everybody a happy 71 as we get set to um, celebrate Yom Ha'atzma'u tonight uh, on the heels of Yom HaZikaron. We remember the 23,000-plus soldiers who gave their lives for all of us to live as Jews with freedom and with dignity. And how I pray that this generation understands that. Uh, we will wrap up with Cole Zimra, and we stand as one on a Yom Zikaron Israel Memorial Day morning here at JM in the AM. <laughs> Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish 
moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up a Wednesday, Yom Zikaron Israel Memorial Day here at JM in the AM, getting set for tomorrow, and Israel's 71, Yom Ha'atzmaut Israel Independence Day. Coming up, Bite Size with Yoni Pollock, followed by the brand new Our Community with the United Task Force. That'll be on between 10 and, uh, actually 10 and 11 today. 10 and 11 today with some very special guests. Make sure to be tuned in. Have, and of course, Live Lunch with Avrami starts at 11 a.m. Have, oh, I don't know if Avrami's hosting a live lunch today. It's very possible we'll have our music stream going. Um, so don't be shocked by that development. <laughs> Either way. Have a fabulous Wednesday. And remember those who gave their lives on behalf of all of us. And of course, our beloved state of Israel. Till tomorrow, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.